1: giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Uh, welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour on a Monday. And uh, Troy and I, hey, what's up, Troy? Hey, bud. We both have a case of the yawns. We got the yawns. I don't know what it is. Just a case of the yawns and a case of the Mondays, all right?
0: Six o'clock on a Monday, I'm yawning.
1: See, but I know for a fact you didn't do this, and I didn't do this this weekend, even though it was St. Paddy's Day weekend. I did not have a sip of alcohol. Nope. I didn't wait. Nope. I have to take that back. I had a single Dos Equis Amber at lunch on Saturday. Okay. That was all the alcohol I consumed this weekend. But it was so negligible that I forgot about it for a second. It a beer at lunch. Yeah, I have a beer at lunch. Not a big deal. I mean... That is one of these things. It's one of those holidays where I, I, St. Patrick's Day never has treated me right. No. Oh, definitely not. That might be the, uh, the holiday where I woke up on the couch at 4 in the morning with a half-eaten Sonic breakfast toaster in my hand. <laughs> and I remember waking up from my stupor, my drunken stupor, looking at the half-eaten toaster and taking it to my mouth and taking another bite.
0: It reminds me of uh, Beerfest when that when Landfill's wife finds him <laughs> just laying with the refrigerator door open. She thinks he's dead. He wakes up and he goes ham.
1: <laughs> the things people do when they're intoxicated, uh, and occasionally I guess it's good for you if you can handle it. But you know, Greg and I were talking at the end of Happy Hour about all these changing, shifting nutritional guidelines. Like, avocado is a big thing today. Yeah. Because apparently it's the whole keto thing. You know, like, healthy fats. Like, fat's fine. As long as it's, you know, measured... It's a good type of fat. It's not like trans fat. And now sugar is the enemy. And carbs in general. Yeah. And then I'm seeing these wars go on. Like, Jillian Michaels is like, oh... CrossFit and the keto diet will kill you. Like, wait, Jillian, are you just saying that the people that are competing against you for workout programs and nutritional guidelines, the, the, your competitors are the ones that are going to kill people. And, you know, I'm all for open competition. I say, let's open it up. The government, the food pyramid we were taught, that's that's just, that's gone. Good. It should be gone. It was nonsense. Yeah. So, Here's the thing. I think the direction it's going is genetic testing. That you can get essentially mapping of your particular genome and, oh, here's what will probably help you out or hurt you. It'll be on an individual basis. As the testing gets cheaper, you mean? Oh, yeah. Okay. As the testing gets cheaper right. and you can and discover more and more, you might be prone to certain chronic diseases that may have not have manifest themselves just yet. I think genetic testing is kind of the future of figuring out a lot of wicked diseases we haven't even scratched the surface of curing, right? Or things like Alzheimer's or dementia and whatnot. That's a
0: that's a really good idea. Genetic testing. At least for
1: dietary needs. Right, for it, dietary needs, for certain medical procedures. The only the only problem See, you mentioned CrossFit.
0: Yeah. It won't kill you, but it's going to mess up almost every single one of your important joints. If you go real of hard. Because how, like, just awful they preach their form.
1: Right. And, well, and you see this with, like, top notch athletes that perform to the highest levels. Like, you, okay, so you're an offensive lineman. Not, uh, let's leave the weight of being an offensive lineman out of it. Right. Your knees are going to be shot. Mm hmm. Um, I love it, professional wrestling. But somebody, my brother was talking to me. He's like, do they get concussions? I'm like, yeah, it's probably the worst sport, air quote sport, sports entertainment out there for head injuries. Because you're being thrown all around the damn place. Soccer is the highest rate of concussions. Really? Yeah. Over American football? Over, man. See, I, I had in what we called... Getting your bell rung. I had that several times playing football here in Montgomery. Yeah. But we didn't think of it as, oh, that's a concussion.
0: Yeah. well, See, that's... As we get older, Hmm. opinions change. And you were talking about this with dietary needs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I I find myself sometimes, like, being like... If someone changes their opinion on something, I find myself being like, you're a hypocrite. You didn't used to think that. (laughs) Right. But then you realize, like... As more information comes to you and you change your opinion on something, is that not naturally the way things are supposed to work? That's the whole idea. Right. So with concussions, soccer is like 20 years behind. mm -hmm. Okay, Just over the weekend, there was a goalkeeper uh, for Napoli. That's an Italian team in Naples, Italy. Okay. Not sure if Napoli gave it away. Um, (laughs) He, in the third or fourth minute of the game received a knee to the head. Oh, a knee. Basically, uh, Cross came in from outside the box, very low to the ground, and the striker tried to hit the ball with his leg into the goal. David Ospina came out to collect the ball. Right. In the process, there was a collision. Yes, the keeper. He took a knee to the head. Oh. He said, you know, I'm fine, whatever. He came back in. In the 37th minute, he collapsed on the field.
1: Whoa. Collapsed. They had to, they put him on a stretcher. They brought the card out. Do he have like cranial hemorrh- hemorrhaging or something like that? Or So, I mean, the, that probably would make you pass out. With
0: the way injuries work in soccer, given the nature of hospital visits, they don't say much hmm. other than, like the last update I heard was that he was awake and with his wife. Right. In the hospital. I mean, chances are it's just a really nasty concussion. But I genuinely think someone's going to die on the field before soccer teams do. Just The world in general does something about right concussions.
1: Yeah, I, and it's the big concern now. Though, I think even common sense dictated, say, NFL players in the 70s and 80s that I'm probably not going to be all right when I get older. Like, if they yeah. sat and really thought about it, I mean, you know. Like, there's some basic things, you know, like, okay, my hand feels numb. Interesting. Mm
0: -hmm. Or, like, why am I mad or sad? All of a sudden, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's not controllable. And luckily, uh, and this comes from the world of wrestling, a guy named Daniel Bryan. He's now the new Daniel Bryan. He's turned heel. He's calling himself the Planet's Champion. He changed the WWE Championship belt to an all-hemp belt because, you know, it's usually a leather belt. with Mm -hmm. Yeah, he changed it to all-hemp with wood. Okay. And it's hilarious. He's like, you people buy all these hot dogs and all this beer and all this merchandise crap. All these AJ Styles gloves because you got an empty hole in you. You you have some emptiness inside you. And you're trying to fill it with all this consumerist crap. But you don't need this Super crap. You need Daniel Bryan. The plan is champ. Anyway, it's a ridiculously fun gimmick. I think Kofi Kingston's probably going to take him on at WrestleMania. So, Daniel Bryan, though was the biggest baby face in the company they had known. A great underdog story. And he's a he's a fairly small guy. He's probably 5'10", yeah. in good shape. But that's what held him back for so long, because he's not a big body guy. Is like, that
0: the guy that kicks people in the nuts?
1: He does now, because he's a heel. Okay. Yeah, he almost beat Brock Lesnar, because Lesnar's just throwing him all over the ring, and then he all of a sudden sees an opportune moment, runs up and kicks Lesnar in the nuts, and you think, oh, he's going to win <laughs> by cheating! <laughs> by cheating! But before he did this whole turn to being a bad guy, lies, cheats, and steals, and talks down to people and preaches down to them, he used to be this huge underdog, good guy. And like he'd come out and do the yes chant, the whole crowd would go with him. Great. What is it? He had a rocked up version of Flight of the Valkyries or something as his entrance music. really good stuff. And he had to quit. In his hometown, he came out and gave a, a, what they call in the business a shoot speech. A, it's not a gimmick. I'm retiring. Like that guy that announced his cancer. Yeah, uh, I think his real name's Joe, but he's known as Roman Reigns. He's back now. It's in remission. Oh, cool. So he's back, and thank God for that. But Daniel Bryan had to quit because he got another concussion. Then he revealed to his then his wife and the doctors, uh, "This isn't like my third concussion. This is like my eighth, and I used to have seizures, and I haven't told anybody." And they're like, "Okay," and so they started doing the CTE scans. All this stuff. Like, dude, you you need to quit. You can't take another major It's a mess in. up there. And so it's it was this really sad story. Like, he becomes the top of his profession, becomes champion at WrestleMania, gets married, goes on a two-week honeymoon, and he comes back, and I think his dad dies, and then he's told he has to quit because of all these concussions. Like, we won't <laughs> medically clear you to perform. So he goes on, like, this two-year journey, and he started working with several doctors and institutes, but in particular the Joe Namath Institute that is working on concussion therapy and using what I believe was hyperbaric chamber treatments, like hundreds of them for a few minutes at a time, he was able to reverse on the CTE scans all the lesions they were seeing. And so he's now cleared to perform again. Wow. So there are treatments out there for people. Uh, But for me, it comes down to number one, do I want to watch stuff like that where I know people are getting hurt? And for me, it's kind of a maybe. Like, if I watch an MMA bout, and you're going to say Brock Lesnar goes back to the UFC, and he's facing some guy across from him. Lesnar knows, and the guy getting in the cage with Lesnar knows, yeah, we could potentially get hurt there. I think they should be allowed to take that risk. Yeah. And I think it actually adds to the drama, adds to the spectacle, when you know these guys are willingly taking on that risk. It, it, MMA is a young man sport.
0: Yeah. If Brock Lesnar goes back to the UFC, there are two places that a fighter knows that he should attack. And fortunately for Brock, one of those is not his face. You just go after his stomach slash solar plexus or his legs because yeah. they're both weak because he's so top-heavy and he's had issues with the stomach before.
1: Diverticulitis, but, yes.
0: But there are some MMA fighters who were known for how strong their chins are, right?
1: And it's like 10 fights,
0: just so many punches to the face, just taking them like a champ. right? And then they get knocked out one time. And then the next fight, they get their bell rung. And -hmm. then the next fight, they get knocked out. And then all of a sudden, those chins turn to glass. Yep, And you see it with a lot of usually light heavyweights and heavyweights. And it's sad to see, but at the same time, the part of me that like enjoys sportsmanship. Right. Most of these guys have been popped for test or some some sort of uh, steroids. Right. It's like, uh, well, should have maybe picked a different profession or something.
1: Right, and there I've heard talk of like them wanting to change the standards on performance-enhancing drugs, like because some people naturally have better their muscles can perform better, and so, so maybe we test your your capacity I used for being to be able to take on loads of Johnny life.
0: Bones Jones he used to be one of my favorite fighters I can't stand him now
1: yeah yeah first he
0: did that all that crazy stuff on cocaine and like hit that woman in his car and then ran away and now he's like he's been popped like two different times for uh uh some sort of steroid and now, every time he gets popped for it, his excuse is that his body just naturally pulses. That's true. It's like a pretty specific.
1: Hmm. Well, it's possible, I suppose, but no, no it's not. No, <laughs> no, he's just a liar. Yeah, and well, and to me, it comes back to you know we can mention CrossFit. I think as you see the popularity of the NFL dwindle, and I think it's it won't happen quickly, but it'll be a, it's a trend.
0: It's a sl- I think it'll be a slow burn, kind of like baseball,
1: right? And it'll still be around. It'll still make a lot of money. Probably be a multi-billion-dollar industry. But it it will dwindle in prominence. It already is I think dwindling in a way. Probably like just, with children, right, playing the sport because of worries about head injuries. People won't let their kids play early. And it, I I'm a big believer in though that if that goes away, especially the violence of the sport goes away, will something else come along to fill that void. Because mm-hmm. I think there is a. A human desire, like it or not, for that competition in terms of violent competition. And I think MMA is one of the, the best things in that regard. It's like, okay, you think your martial art's the best, I think mine's the best, let's put it to the test. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a worthwhile endeavor. And if somebody's willing to put their body on the line, all power to you. And it's not something necessarily that you have to get a kid into really, really early. You might, right. but... You could do it in ways that are safe early on. So yeah. maybe that will develop over time more. Or crossfit. It's now the sport of exercise essentially. I would I would actually I would like to see rugby come over. Rugby? It's a lot
0: safer. Okay. And they care yeah. about concussions. Uh, it's not Yeah. It's not like the NFL, it's not like soccer. In soccer, a player can go, No, I'm good, I'm gonna go back in and they let him back in. In the NFL, a team doctor can be like, I think he's got a concussion, uh, but we don't need to put him back in or we can put him back in. In rugby, it's like each stadium hmm. has an independent doctor. Oh, if wow. they see somebody take a hit, they say, pull him. In rugby, you can substitute on the fly. Let's so see. it's not like... Uh, it, it, It's not like hockey on the fly, but it's not like NFL where you got to wait between plays to substitute people. And it's not like soccer where you got to wait for the ball to go. Right. um, They take them out, and if you go into protocol, it's like a minimum two weeks. Wow. And if you've had more than one concussion, it's like that amount of time before you can play again is increased.
1: Well, and you brought this to mind, like how something could be counterintuitive. Like in hockey, you always had the enforcer, the guy, if you mess with my team... I'm going to take you out. I'm putting right. you into the boards. We're, we're dropping gloves. We're fighting. And they kind of got, they're to get rid of that enforcer culture. But what's happened is it's made the game in a way more violent. Like people get away with more crap. So the enforcer right. was a weird part of the hockey culture that kept everybody in line. And now that that's gone, they don't know where the line is, what the rules are. What can I get away with? Right. Yeah. So it can be counterintuitive. I don't know. It's more uh, the changing times. Like, it's not just politics that's changing. Like, people think the economic system's changing. Ideas are changing. Ideas themselves are changing, and it's reflected in our sports, also our entertainment. It's Mm -hmm. like everything across the board, and it's hard to get a grasp on where's all this going. Like, you look at the state of Alabama, you think college football ain't going anywhere. It's going to be around forever and forever. But I'd imagine college football wasn't as big as it used to be, say even fifty years ago you would have your you'd have your good faith, like you know the people at the school, people that went to the school, right. but it wasn't the booming business that it is now
0: yeah there well there's been such a large influx of cash outside of the state of Texas into other states that at least for football that have allowed other states and athletics to rise. To a certain threshold that, you know, we see these monster athletes coming out of high school now. It's insane.
1: Well, and I think when people do crazy stuff, it's kind of a point I come back to. Because I don't want to see anybody hurt, but I also believe in, like, the individual. If you want to take that risk, like, you want to climb Mount Everest, knowing that there's all sorts of dead bodies you'll encounter on the way up, Mm -hmm. you should have a right to do that. And not only should they have the right to do that, if you reach the summit, you should be respected. Like, there is something about that, to me, that it's not just, oh, I reached a tall point on the earth. It's right. the challenge, all the wherewithal, the the intelligence, everything that it takes to get to something like that. It's one of those, uh, you and I share this, the look at what we can do moments, like in Aaron Sorkin's writing and, and TV shows. Right. Not everybody can do them, but they're a reminder of like, oh, This is an incredible thing that somebody can do when they really put their mind to it and stretch their stretch their comfort zone and their capacity.
0: Right, and I, I, you know, you mentioned they should have the right to be able to climb that. I also think they should have the right to make something positive come out of it, outside of just a human achievement on the individual level. Like, don't a lot of people? It's expensive to climb Everest. Yeah, they use that. They raise money, and then the surplus money goes to a certain charity or something right. like that.
1: Well, and the guy, uh, Colin O'Brady, he climbed Everest. Yeah, hopped on that helicopter after halfway down. Yeah, and yeah, he was going to wait several weeks to go to Mount Denali in Alaska, and his wife got on the phone and said, we've done the math that if you get on a helicopter right now and you climb the peak to Denali in seven days, uh, you will break three world records, not just one. So let's do it. And he did it. It weirdly worked out for him because his blood, his physiology was used to high altitude so he could quickly scale Mount Denali. But he also traversed Antarctica uh, without aid of you know, air power or kite or anybody else. That's insane. It really is insane. But he said, like, he was asked, why do you do this? He's like, you'll laugh when I say this. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. He's like, the more I kind of fell into doing these sorts of things. Uh, like, he won a marathon, and he went to check the score, and not think he would win. He won it. Like, the first marathon he ever entered. I guess I got a talent for this. And he got a sponsor. And he said the reason he does this isn't like, oh, what's the greatest next challenge? What's the biggest world record? It's to be an example to people that I was down and out. I was having a terrible time of things. And you can, when you put your mind you, and get out of your comfort zone, do incredible things. So he said maybe the next thing will be more of an intellectual pursuit. But you need people like that out there. You need the sort of heroic uh, symbol, motif, to mm-hmm. be existing. Because I, you know, people are looking for the next presidential candidates. And, you know, we've got a silly article pulled up on Beto O'Rourke. He's already being torn apart from the left. For stupid reasons, in my opinion. For well, being a hacker? No, not for being a hacker. He uh, O'Rourke not, had a nonchalant quip that, like... At the rallies, got a laugh or an applause from the people there. Yeah, but people who heard the quip after, afterwards, without context. No, with con- here's what he said. He said uh, that his wife cares for the couple's three children sometimes with my help. Or I think it was more precisely like we've raised three beautiful children, but sometimes with my help, which was a kind of a, you know a self deprecating joke. People took that as being offensive and saw it belittling towards the homekeeper or single parents. Or It's like, are you just looking for reasons to be pissed off? Yep. Yep. Or he had to apologize, and we read it earlier on air, this weird short story he wrote in, like, 1988. That he was having dreams, and his dreams gave him inspiration to go run over some kids. And he then went on to kill more people and he wasn't caught by the police because his dreams led him on the right path. It's like a paragraph long, the story. Saying like, what kind of... Why are you writing that, man? Like, and I've written some pretty purple crap when I've made the attempt, but it's just odd. And I don't know, my point is, I you look for the hero in the political scene, I'm like, I don't see it.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing is, if it's not in politics, I mean, didn't didn't Dane Cook make a joke about hitting kids? Oh, right. Uh, in a car? Like yeah. A, yeah. Not like Kevin Hart, but like...
1: I made a joke about that. It's well, like, you it know, what, 500 used, points? It used legislature. Somebody had a bill about changing residential speed limits to 15 miles an hour, and I stood up, walked to the front of the podium, had my minute of time, and I said, I believe in my god given right and freedom to run over kids if they get in my way. And <laughs> like had the whole place laughing. Everybody understood I was being sarcastic. Right. I think you're allowed to make jokes and even this uh, you know, it's another topic. It's like people that create great things, people that have done great things can not necessarily they're, they're not necessarily good people is the point. Like James Gunn made two great Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Luckily he's been reinstated. He's back baby. He's back. But you see those old tweets where he is making pretty crass comments, statements. They're hardly even jokes about pedophilia. You're like, oh, that's bad. But then you learn more about that guy. Like, he was abused as a kid. People process it differently.
0: And he handled it as, like, he didn't deflect any of the blame. Right. He didn't blame anybody else. He owned he, up to he it. Sat, and it was constantly apologetic. There there are some people that when something gets brought to their attention, it's like, oh, well, uh, they didn't do that. Right. It wasn't me. Right. I'm like, okay. The way he handled himself, I think, sort of, and the way the cast and everybody loved him sort of forced, is it Iger, Bob Iger? Mm-hmm. To, to be like, okay, you're back.
1: Right, I mean, he's just those movies have been so good, and he probably is a very different man than he was ten years ago. Yeah. So, okay, well, we understand. So, how long do you
0: hold something against somebody?
1: I think if you actually did something, I mean, we have it in the legal code. Like, okay, you murdered somebody, and it's right. second degree or whatever, and.
0: But in outrage culture, not just in the legal yes. system,
1: it's a good question. Cancellation, outrage culture. They want to. They want to crucified people for things they did 10 years ago.
0: Or their opinion change, like we mentioned. Right. It, and it's like I, I can see why You're mad. Okay. <laughs> I can see why you want to point this out. <laughs> right. But it, there was a change. We need to get people to learn that change is okay. hmm And if a mechanism of change happens that you don't agree with it's kind of like sometimes life deals you a terrible hand or like you fall in love with somebody and they love you and they just smash your heart Mm -hmm. at some point you gotta be like I gotta get over this
1: yeah and see that they aren't just some evil person see that well they're a person with flaws and Yeah. Good qualities too and it wasn't meant to be, yeah. Acceptance
0: seems to not have much of a part in today's outrage culture. Now I don't mean acceptance of like inclusiveness. I don't mean that. I mean acceptance of mechanisms of change.
1: Yes. That people can atone for lack of a better word, or they can they can change their mind. Or also something I see that's a big part of outrage cancellation culture. Is sort of a tribal collectivist mentality. It's more an argument over symbols. So, I it
0: didn't a bunch of, wasn't it a bunch of right wingers that, or, I guess, I'm sorry, alt writers that pointed out James Gunn's tweets? Yes. Like,
1: hey, see? And it was kind of a response to people doing that to Roseanne and getting her canceled. Which, if you look at Roseanne's story, it's like, why are you, you hired her? She said much worse things on Twitter before she compared Valerie Jarrett to the lady in Planet of the Apes. And I think to this day, Roseanne maintains, I thought she was Jewish, not black. (laughs) Which is like, I'm on Ambien, I drink too much, I'm literally crazy, which she is. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you know you're dealing with a woman who's a little nuts and who's on all sorts of medications. She says stupid things uh, occasionally, and it's not the end of the world. But it's more, we have to be willing to see the individual case. And, like, why people might say something you don't like. But instead, what I think is going on is a certain group has a symbol in mind that this is wrong. It's like, what's happening with this New Zealand shooter? I mean, some of that guy's manifesto seems like it's just trolling.
0: Yeah. The first thing he says is subscribe to PewDiePie?
1: Right. Right. Yeah, right before he starts shooting people.
0: Like, okay, So let's throw this you're, at PewDiePie. You're going to start your manifesto off with a meme.
1: Right? And he says, "I love Candace Owens, but her ideas. Candace Owens, a young black conservative commentator, yeah. uh, who, in my opinion, is not. I don't dislike her, but she's not exactly some heavyweight, intellectual heavyweight by any means." And he's like, "I, I'm a, am ai was a big fan of Candace Owens, but I had to reject her because her ideas were too radical for me." Like, he, he's obviously trolling there. Like, because Candace Owens is pretty mainstream conservative. I mean, she hardly gets out of that box, ever. Yeah, that's it's sort it, of a... Well, and then he throws in Trump, where it's like he, he... He doesn't
0: like Trump, right?
1: Well, in the manifesto, what he did is he'd ask himself questions and then answer them. So what do you think of Donald Trump? He's like, as reinvigorating the spirit of whiteness or whatever, he's great. As far as government policy or whatever, he sucks. Just like, oh, my God. But what's going to happen is people aren't going to look at this thing as, okay, this guy, let's look into his individual history, like how he's probably got to this point for all sorts of reasons. And let's not play this game of taking the guy who shot 50 people and, okay, let's use what he wrote as symbols to attack one another. So it's now Trump is... It's the new thing. We saw it uh, today and yesterday. Trump said this is a, in response to attack, it's a very small group of people who have a lot of a lot of problems. And then the response from the media is Trump downplays the white nationalist, rising white nationalist threat. This isn't new. Fox News did this with Obama.
0: Every, uh, the yes. old, our own president did this with Obama. Right. Why won't you say Islamic radical terrorism? Right.
1: Like... No, and there is, uh, I'm not saying it belongs to the province of one political party or one side, so to speak, but it's, they'll cite like the SBLC, which right. we're still trying to figure out what Morris D's did. Um, he was let go from the organization, by the way. From
0: the Southern Poverty Law
1: Center? Yeah, the co-founder of the Southern Poverty Law Center was let go from the Southern Poverty Law Center and they said it was for personnel issues and they're getting an independent third party to come and look at the whole climate of work over there at the SPLC. Oh boy, somebody probably got harassment charges. And some people
0: are But it's hard to glean that information from
1: a PR statement. Right, exactly. And I guess we'll find out more of the truth there. But the SPLC, and I think they're useful, comes out with these hate track, hate watch, hate map things. Some of it seems kind of arbitrary, though. Yes, it does. And that's where they're useful, but also incredibly frustrating and play the game in bad faith. But they're like, okay, this rising trend of white nationalist hate groups under Trump. And they said, and this year it's 1,020 groups. I'm like, well, how many people are part of those groups? Like two guys? With a mailing list? Or, like, how many are we talking here? But then if you go back to 2011, there were 1,018. Right? As Barack Obama was running for re-election. So I guess back then it was explained as all these groups hate him. And now it's explained in 2019 that all these groups like Trump, even though they explicitly say they don't. That that to me seems
0: like a convenient mechanism of gaining popularity. Yeah, For that list. Yes. And it's convenient because those two things happen to overlap, for the most part. But like a Venn diagram, there are portions of both of sides of that sort of weird hate that don't overlap at all. But they've conveniently group them all together.
1: Well and let's say let's be generous. Say there's like two hundred members of each of those thousand groups. Yeah. Okay, that's two hundred thousand people. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, but compared to the whole country, three hundred million plus, not that many people. And it's a lot of people, but it's not that many people.
0: Okay, but then
1: And you know, and I'm not naive enough to say that like one guy in New Zealand can take fifty souls. Right. I get that. Any amount of, like, hate, whether it's coming from white nationalists or, like, black separatist or whatever, anti-Semites, neo-Nazis, I don't like those groups. And it's more than I don't like them, I think they're pathological and just evil. Right. But we also, I think, need to keep in perspective, and this is what I get tired of, and it's part of the outrage culture. It's like, let's go to the worst possible example. Both sides do it. Yep. Let's go to Antifa, let's go to the worst aspects of the alt-right, whatever, and let's use their ideas, the worst pathological presentation of some of humanity's ideas, and now let's project that onto the people who are actually representing millions right? and find them suspect in the process.
0: Now 200,000 that's a uh, you say that's an arbitrary number.
1: Yes. Right. It could be let's say 500,000.
0: Where the cognitive dissonance comes in is for me is at what point cuz to me 200,000 that's entirely too many. I'm not saying your number is wrong. I'm yeah. just saying that's entirely too many white nationalists. Sure. But the cognitive dissonance I see is that when someone might find themselves loosely affiliated with a group of people, namely that alt-riders are white nationalists, and therefore all white people are that are conservative are bad.
1: Right, that's the you, game that's being played. Right.
0: That same, I would say, a large portion of that group of people that are kind of like, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not a white nationalist just because I'm conservative, those same people... Would then turn around and look at an Islamic group and be like, "What's with the terrorism?" Right. So, at what point people are
1: inconsistent? Yeah.
0: At what point does that number become so great in this arbitrary group of white nationalists? Does it cause someone to look inwards? Because for Islamic terrorism, that number is not two hundred thousand. That's uh, hundreds of millions. Yes, right? it is. But the the relative population of all Muslims is in the billions. So right. it's a very small number but
1: it's a lot of people. It's a lot of
0: people. Right. Two hundred thousand is a lot of people. Right. At what point do we see aspects of our party the concern or the right or whatever you want to call it? At what point do we see aspects of that and say, Maybe it's time we sort of readdress
1: things that are happening in our party? Yeah. Well then there there's been those occasions recently.
0: Like, we mentioned it last week, the, church need, the Catholic Church needs Vatican III, like, yesterday. Right. How does the left or the right address these issues within their party, without splintering it? Well, that's the issue. That's the And have a positive outcome. Obviously, somebody's opinion on an outcome is going to be totally different if they happen to agree with the alt-right than if they don't.
1: Well, and I also think that there is something that goes on with the right. when you, Like, when does the right go too far? It's pretty quick to be like, "Oh, you believe in some sort of racial superiority, yep. or ethnic state, or you're you're a Nazi, or you're separatist." These sort of okay, that's a clear line. If you look at the left, it's like, where do they go too far? I mean, you could say violence in the streets, sure, but like, where's the line? Clear line there on the left, because the communists in Russia were all about equality and. They, they each some, according to their ability, each according to their need. They did some awful things. Based on some of these same ideas. So Maybe, it's, maybe we
0: should look at the intersections. No. I brought in intersectionality. No, please
1: don't. We got to hit this break. We've talked way too long. Be right back.
0: joey clark
1: joey clark welcome back we about 14 shopping minutes left before we continue with the discussion i want to tell folks the show is brought to you by eddie bader with the good sinker a good guy. He's a master of real estate, masterful in his approach because he changed his own life by investing in real estate. And by changing his own life, investing in rental properties, managing different properties, you can see all the things that go right and go wrong with a home. And he's also helped out others, buy homes, sell homes. Let's just say he has the experience. So if you're looking to buy a home... Especially as the warmer spring and summer months start to eke in to this year, 2019. Ask Eddie at 322-0662 about his pontoon boat lake house tour. Instead of having to go through all those windy roads up to a particular lake property, you you just get to one location, hop on the pontoon boat, and you go from dock to dock. Checking out maybe that great retirement home, or maybe hit it big early in your 20s. You want to relax by the lakeside. That's a good idea. It's great. It might even crack open a few beers. Who knows? Lake roads are sketchy. Exactly. So if you're also looking to sell your home, Eddie Bader, he just had a great open house this weekend. He'll teach you how to do a successful open house, how to best present your property to the buyers out there, potential buyers out there to get it off the market quickly. Hey, you need to do this renovation or repair before anybody asks you so we can put it out at an even top dollar level even more top-dollar level than you would like or even think you could do. Eddie Bader with the Goods and Group can be your buyer's agent. He can be your seller's agent. He knows both sides of the business. So give him a call, 322-0662. Again, that number, 322-0662. Now, we mentioned something earlier that those who aren't hip to, say, internet culture and meme culture uh, might not be aware of. That The shooter in New Zealand said, subscribe to PewDiePie. Before he started shooting people,
0: so he said that on his manifesto.
1: Yeah, okay. I think it's he not said like he, it. it, it it's I not think like, he said it in the video too. Well,
0: it's me. not like he he screamed it as he was
1: right. Like, wasn't like people down right right. Sorry. That's, so that's specific. It's like this. What I've seen, like ironic bigotry, which I can conceive of. Like, why would you pretend to be a Nazi? I remember being some punk contrarian. I don't think I ever pretend to be a Nazi. But, like, oh, like, the, the I'm in a Catholic school and pretend to be an atheist just to piss off the teachers. Right. You know, it's just fun. It's, it's transgressive. It's fun to do. Uh, but you were saying that there's kind of a, a gateway... Where somebody will say something that's, yeah. like, ironic. And I, I
0: hate to use jargon from the drug drug war, but subscribe to PewDiePie is, like, a gateway meme.
1: Right, but not PewDiePie himself, necessarily, but...
0: No, although he did have that whole thing where he, he said the N-word. What, yeah, but he's... he's uh, so he's this YouTuber that reviews, like, video games, and he's really popular, and he does all sorts of other stuff now. Anyway, apparently, he started this meme where you say subscribe to PewDiePie because he was sort of in a competition with another YouTube group. I want to say Apex or A1 or Legends or something. I, I don't know. Um, anyway, he was trying to get people to subscribe to his channel because right. he's got, I think he's got the most subscribers on
1: and, his channel. And he does. And people at the Super Bowl even held up like signs in the crowd subscribe, you know, sub to PewDiePie. So what,
0: what has started to happen is the subscribe to PewDiePie meme, you just randomly say it at any time or type it or write it mm-hmm. at any time. And it has led some opportunistic people of hateful ideology to use subscribe to PewDiePie to get people, perhaps young kids or teenagers, to say that subscribe to PewDiePie and then say uh, they they sort of escalate the edginess of the meme.
1: And it's something innocuous as a second, like learn to code, which is, you know... On in the face of it, how it first started is like, oh, you're telling these rural people in West Virginia, coal miners in West Virginia don't have a job anymore. Oh, learn to code. It's a kind of a knock against the elites. But then it became something else. And this is what the more radical fringes will do. They'll take something that seems innocuous or normal mm-hmm. and then impute different meanings to it. Sometimes to get people to freak out over, say, like Hillary Clinton, I think, mentioned Peppy the Frog or mentioned something like that. And you're like, it's a frog. Yeah. And so it makes the person who's trying to call it out look really dumb. But then there are also people who are using coded language to actually express things that are pretty bad.
0: Yeah. It's like those, uh, there was that, so there's a, uh, well, let me finish with the, Gateway meme. Mm-hmm. It's like people will start saying that meme, and they will slowly go down this rabbit hole of memetics right. and end up in an echo chamber of hate.
1: Right, and, that and I'm just doing it ironically. Right,
0: that doesn't always happen, but you see it with like Four Chan's poll board, which is their politics board. Mm-hmm. They are like they're they
1: hate Jews. Yeah. They're like super Nazis. A lot of anti-Semitism yeah. going on. Yeah. Uh, well, here's to I want to bring something in because we're running out of time. Okay. Why would anybody ever pretend to be a Nazi? Or even, like, if you're claiming it's ironic, and I'm just trying to get a rise out of people, why'd you ever do that? Enter Charles Bukowski. Oh, gosh. Okay. He wrote a short story, and it starts this way. At L.A. City College, just before World War II, I posed as a Nazi. I hardly knew Hitler from Hercules and cared less. It was just that sitting in class and hearing all the patriots preach how we should go over and do the beast in, I grew bored. I decided to become the opposition. I didn't even bother to read up on Adolf. I simply spouted anything I felt was evil or maniacal. However, I really didn't have any political beliefs. It was a way of floating free. And it goes from there. And actually the story gets pretty comical, how they're like trolling people. But the parallel... If it continues, it's like these ironic types doing these memes and Bukowski just pissing off the proper good American boys and girls at his college in the 40s. Well, it goes on in the story. His Nazi antics earn him disciples, like following them around. And he thinks they're in on it. That's ironic. We're not, we don't believe in anything. We're just pissing people off. But his acolytes took the whole charade much more seriously than he. After stumbling upon a communist speaker outside of campus, one of his followers approached him with a bag of rotten tomatoes. Upon being told by Bukowski to put the tomatoes away, this guy said, I wish they were hand grenades. And then this is a quote from the story. It occurred to me suddenly that my disciples hadn't been listening to the speaker, or even if they had been, nothing he said would have mattered. Their minds were made up. Most of the world was like that. I lost control of my disciples that day and walked away as they started hurling their rotten tomatoes. And you know, sometimes I can be real cynical and I like irony and all this stuff, but you gotta be sure not to let those rotten tomatoes turn into hand grenades. It's a fight club. Yep. It is. And sometimes I worry it's like people that are populist and like the establishment and the corporate is globalist suck. It's like, you don't sound like you dislike them because of the innate the things they do as the powerful people, the elite. It sounds like you just want to be them. Yeah. And I think that's the ultimate irony that will probably happen. And it's populism on the left and the right, is that you won't really change, you'll just be shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. You're not actually changing the situation.
0: Yeah. We don't necessarily care about what you have to say. We just care that you're in power, and we want that power, and we will use what you have to say to get into power. Right. That's why, even though it muddies the water, I think maybe two, more than two political parties in this country would bring some semblance of sanity back Absolutely. to the majority of the things that get said on all of the mainstream news networks.
1: Yes, and I think they're just be- mainstream news is just becoming more stringent, and more polarizing. Like designed, it's like a heel wrestler trying to piss people off in the mm-hmm. crowd. They're designing their news to piss you off to make you resentful. It gets views for whatever reason, yep. and for a limited amount of time. I think those industries are dying slowly but surely, not quick enough. But the, the I mean- problem
0: is, is that when you go on the internet, there are those same coyotes, if you will, mm-hmm. that are just waiting to feast on someone who thinks or is upset about something.
1: Right, oh, and this story from Bukowski is a good reminder that believing in nothing, like, I don't care, can easily lead you to, it's the road to hell. Like, you are ripe for the picking for some coyote, as you put it, Troy, to come around and say, oh, well, let's just do this for fun. Or, oh, you're so down and out in your life that seems purpose." Less, you don't have anything to point towards or any goal to go towards. Here, here's a package, ready-made goal, that you can join our group, find some community, and you can be part of the cause.
0: We will lift you up as we tear others down.
1: Right. And it's just, oh, it's it's gotten so toxic. And there's that classic line from Andrew Breitbart, uh, politics is downstream from culture. And my little twist on it, as I wrote about thinking about these things in 2016, is, yeah, politics can also pollute the river of culture if it becomes too pervasive. And if what you are telling people, and this is what people seem to agree on, why we were mentioning off-air, why is it that the right and the left both act like hypocrites a lot of the time and do the thing that they're accusing the other side of doing? Mm-hmm. It's because, and I think I wrote it here, yeah, once politics becomes to define a people... Like politics itself, battles over the state and how state power should be used. All that is left is an impending battle over whose culture will be imposed through the power of that state. In the face of such a looming war, it's understandable that people often despair only to hurl invective and material threats towards the others seen as the source of their angst. In a world dominated by political power, it's understandable that politicos see anyone who is cynical about their projects as a threat to human solidarity itself. I think if what we agree on together as the left and the right, what we hold in common across all these different political divides is, oh, yeah, we got to use the power of that government or whatever it is in order to win our cause. That's going to lead to all this collective fighting and tribalism. It's going to be become even more pronounced. Right. It's not the correct way. We, sh- we shouldn't be playing the game on that level. shouldn't be whose cultures gets imposed. No, but that's the easiest way to... Um- amass power and use it. Mm-hmm. And we gotta stop taking the easy way out. Right, and this is why we need the heroes back. We need people that show you, hey, you can go the tough road, you can go to that area that seems chaotic and somewhat impossible, and you can put one foot into that craziness where dragons be and show people there is a different way. And I come, came out unscathed. Bukowski not being a hero. No, he's an anti-hero.
0: Don't, don't take advice from Bukowski. However, if you observe his journey, there are lessons to be learned.
1: And he would occasionally say some brilliant things. What, what is it I quoted at the end of this article? He said, you begin saving the world by saving one man at a time. All else is grandiose romanticism or politics. And I tend to agree with that. That the best way forward is, and it won't solve all our problems by any means, but work on yourself. If you're doing pretty well, help somebody else next to you and grow that and make that ripple effect happen as much as possible. Because if instead the idea is, I'm not happy, blame the other person and it'll make me happy, it's just, it's a good way to hell. Mm -hmm. And it don't matter whose side wins. Uh, Things aren't going great, folks, as much as they seem like they're going great. Well, that's another show because we're out of time. But there are some big, pervasive, systematic issues uh, the debt comes to mind. Okay, um, there are some things that we're all going to have to learn to make unpopular decisions. And, uh, well, given the nature of our system is popularity, good luck with fixing those problems. And with that, I bid you good day, sir. Have a nice Monday.